Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Michelle Emerson. And Bridget Spackman, and we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. Bridget and I were talking recently, as we do, and from (laughs) all the conversations we have had with teachers, we feel like a lot of teachers are lacking a structure for their lessons, as in they have 60 minutes for their math block, but it's almost like they start from scratch each time they plan for that 60 minute block. So in today's episode, we're going to discuss the one thing holding your lesson planning back and making it harder than it needs to be. But first, we're going to listen to a TSH from, I'm going to probably butcher this, Ayala, A-Y-A-L-A. I apologize if I said your name incorrectly. So here's what this top teacher says. Hey there, top teachers, and thank you so much for giving me the perfect balance between a pep talk and tough love. My biggest TSH is that whenever I begin to plan a lesson or unit, I drown in materials and spend three to four hours saying stuff like, wow, I want to do that. And Ooh, but this one is much better. And the worst thing, yeah, I'll keep that for later. (laughs) I think we've all been there. Eventually, after spending endless amount of time reading and bouncing between materials, giving up on my personal life, I wasn't prepared. And time after time, I've improvised counting on my lovely personality and creative (laughs) thinking. And as I struggle with ADHD my entire life, it was a tragedy. There was no proper connection between lessons and my poor students ended up confused, feeling my lessons were fun, but not meaningful. I lack formal training as I changed my profession from a copywriter to a teacher in a five-week Uh, of Zoom training in the summer of 2020, thanks to COVID limitations. For the past two years, I've been a, can I say this? Crappy teacher. Yeah, And I wish to to get better. I learned that it is not enough to love your students and to spend time with them, not setting any boundaries, but that's for a different TSH. They deserve a teacher, not only a meaningful and caring adult. Mm. The more I want to get better, the more I read and listen and run through information about implementing crappy learning. I know, right? My wish is to spend the summer building a system for lesson planning and maybe a template that is right for me with clear boundaries so I won't get lost. Where do I start? How do I build a practical plan that will help me to start now as I'm running through endless podcasts and blog posts that just just like during the school year? I am tired of spending tons of time, but not properly meaning to say, help, please. Thanks a lot. P.S. We love you in Israel. We're global. (laughs) We're global. (laughs) So a couple things stuck out from that. First of all, you're definitely not alone. And that's actually why we're going to be dedicating basically the next month to the various things that go into like planning lessons. But I want to pivot really quick because I thought this was, I don't know, an interesting take. So many teachers I feel like are like, well, just love your kids and nothing else matters. And yes, that is important. And I do think that has to come first. But I really like this line. They deserve a teacher, not only a meaningful and caring adult, because I think sometimes we're not putting enough emphasis on delivering good instructional lessons. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like from you know my experience, this sounds very much like me when I first started teaching and I think it does take time to kind of figure out your lesson planning flow and then the way that you like to deliver 
your lessons. And we're going to go into that more in this episode, but I would almost set a timer for myself and be like, I will spend no more than 30 minutes looking for resources. And sometimes you just have to accept that good is good enough, right? Like this is one lesson within one day, within one month, within one year. Like it's not going to be the end of the world if it's not the quote unquote best resource that you could find or lesson idea that you could find. Plus, I think that this top teacher would benefit from some long range planning, which we're going to get into a little bit more in some later episodes this month. Bridget, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think lesson planning is a huge struggle for a lot of teachers. There are so many different strategies that you can do. There are different teaching styles that you can try to implement. And as you mentioned, when you first become a teacher, trying to figure out your specific teaching style is challenging because what you're doing is you're basically picking up from all of your mentors, you're picking up from people online Mm -hmm. and you're like, ooh, that might work for me. I mean, I can't tell you how many teachers online, I mean, when I taught kindergarten, Kara Carol, that was my girl. I wanted to be a Kara Carol in the classroom. <laughs> but the thing is, is I'm not a Kara Carol, right? Mm-hmm. I have to remember that I'm a Bridget Spackman and I am a really great teacher. So for me, what I have found to be the most beneficial is looking at just key strategies, not crafts, not mm-hmm. um, not the printable pieces. I'm talking about really good teaching strategies, like turning and talking, getting them to stand up and do like a jigsaw, like something to that extent that you can reuse over and over and over again, because the more you use those strategies, the better your kids are going to get. And I feel like they develop really meaningful practices in the classroom. So I would say to identify like five to 10 really good strategies that you can come back to again and again. I love that. Okay. Well, we know every teacher loves a good lesson planning template. (laughs) Bridget, I don't know about you, but I feel like when I first started teaching, it's like, I have to get a lesson planner. That's something you know about. Like going into teaching, you're like, I'm going to have a lesson, lesson planner. But when you first start, you don't really know like the right way to do it. And you don't know the template that's going to work for you. And I think instead of looking for a template, as much as we love templates, we need to focus more on a structure, right? Like that's really what we need is a structure for our time. Yeah, definitely. And I would think of these as um, really looking at your schedule and just kind of figuring out what are the allotted amounts of time that I'm going to have for each specific block, right? So this might be a very specific piece, a structure that you might have for each subject area that you have going on during the day. So let's say you're teaching math, reading, writing, you're doing all the different concepts. What you have to do is kind of identify what are those structures within each of those blocks? What is it really going to look like from the point that when students walk in the door um, to when they end up leaving? Yeah. And so in this episode, we're really going to be focusing on how to structure like a given amount of time. So for example, a 60 minute math block. Now, if you have a specific structure that you have to follow for math where they want you, and when I say they, I mean like your admin or the people that run your district, if they want you to like open this way every lesson and then you flow into this piece, we can't really help you so much with that. But this episode is designed for those of you that just get to set your own schedule. So maybe you get to dictate how much time you spend for each subject, but also those of you that haven't allotted time but you have a little bit of wiggle room within that time. So we're going to really be jumping in like 
you have this chunk of time. What do you do with it? So Michelle, did you ever have your admin tell you like you, this is what you do from like point A to point B when not, for your kids? Not necessarily admin. Um, however, the last district that I taught at, they wrote their own curriculum. And so the math lessons, for example, because that's what I had the most experience right. teaching, it was laid out of like, you start with this and then you do this okay. and then you do this. Yeah. Yeah, but what we're not talking about is we're not talking about the lessons right now, um, just for all of you that are listening. Um, What we're talking about is like every single movement, like here's kind of the pieces that we're planning to make the entire block filled up, right? Because lesson should be about, what would you say, like 20 minutes? I say 20 minutes. Yeah. Shouldn't be any more than 20 minutes. I think it depends on the age level. So we'll say 20 as like an average. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we're going to jump into... um, Basically, what is structure? So structure should account for every minute of your time with students. These are are big, broad categories, um, and they're not really planning every lesson, but figuring out what are the components for your day. So Michelle loves, uh, what are these analogies? Yep, yep. (laughs) She loves them, guys. But if you walk into your closet, Okay, you have a spot for your pants, you have a spot for your shirts, you might have a spot for your cardigans and jackets and your dresses. Each component within your closet is what's going to make up your wardrobe, right? Mm. So you're going to think of this the exact same way for your blocks of time for each subject area. See, analogies just make sense to me because as Bridget was saying that, I was just nodding my head and I was like, yes, yes, girl. (laughs) So let's talk about why this is important. This is going to help make your lesson planning so much easier because you know exactly what components you have to plan for each lesson. This will allow you to kind of copy and paste and then just make minor tweaks from day to day. It's going to save you time and it's going to help create that consistency across your lessons. That means your students know what to expect and it's easier when you have to have a sub because they can see those components. And again, it's just easier to plan, which means less mental effort on your part. And because of that, you're then less likely to put it off. So if all of those things sound great to you, which they sound great to me, yeah, make sure <laughs> you keep listening. But we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into how do you actually do this? We are popping in real quick to let you know about a new product line available in our store at teachingonthedouble.com slash store. That's right. We now have inserts for your digital planner. Currently, we have unit planning inserts and lesson planning inserts that work with both Google Slides and tablet digital planners. These inserts are fully editable so you can customize them to work for you and they can be used again and again year after year, which means you only have to purchase them once. Exactly. These inserts are meant to give you additional templates for organizing your plans in a more detailed way. So if you want to get your hands on them, you know, digitally, head over to teachingonthedouble.com slash store to grab your unit planning inserts and lesson planning inserts right away. Thank you. 
Okay, we're back from the break and we are going to chat about how do we go about creating this structure that is ideal for creating your lessons, your plans, right, for every single day. So the first step for this is going to be to figure out your total time. Um, This might start with like a whole day. um, So what does your whole day look like? But then you might start to break that down into your subjects. Most of the time you're going to have like ELA, then math, then science and social studies. And of course you can incorporate some of those other subject areas, but we like to keep them pretty broad because these, these, um, those structure pieces that you're going to have are broad. You're going to change these a little bit. You're going to tweak it to make it fit every single lesson, but the structure is going to remain the same. So try to keep these blocks of time uninterrupted. This is so, so important and something that I don't really have this year, y'all. So I just want to throw you throw that out there. <laughs> I'm a little bitter. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> um, but then you also want to ask your team teachers and your admin of what's kind of expected or what's typical for when it comes to this amount of time. So let's say um, in the previous years, I've always had about an hour and 10 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes for ELA time. That's for reading, writing, grammar, all of the word study, all those components are within that specific blocks of time. This year, I have about an hour and a half to two hours, depending on the day, um, for my class for just like ELA and teaching social studies. So I only get that one block of time. So if you're somebody that's new to the school, you may want to just talk with other team teachers or your admin to figure out what's perfect for you. And this may be something that you already have allotted for your subject and block. There are some schools that will tell you, I know when I taught kindergarten, this is the exact amount of time that you're going to have for your ELA block. You need to have ELA this entire time. Um, So whether it's that you are A, and you have to figure that out, or B, you need, you already have it dictated. Just have it in the back of your mind. This is how much time my block is going to end up being. So then you are ready for the second step, which is to list all the possible components. This is almost like a brain dump. We're not saying you're going to get to them in every lesson. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. might have to eliminate some, but you're just thinking through like, what are those different areas that I could include? Think back to the closet. It's like my pants, my shirts, my dresses. How do I want to have this lesson kind of structured? So here's an example for math. Now I will say for math, personally, from my experience, it really depends on the type of lesson. I think of the lessons in kind of three different categories. You have your conceptual lessons where you are teaching the skill or concept for the first time. You then have your fluency days where students are just practicing a skill that you've already taught them. And then you have your application days where students are taking these skills and applying them to real world situations. But for those conceptual days where you're teaching it for the first time, you might have a warm up. And then a number sense routine. This is an opportunity for students just to practice like adding 10 onto numbers or adding 100 onto numbers or skip counting, those types of things. So they get some practice with their number sense. You might review your objective. You might spend a little bit of time connecting prior knowledge, have a problem of the day. So maybe like a word problem or a situation that students are kind of working through. You might then go over solutions and then you might have an exit ticket. Notice within that, I didn't really have a big like instruction component. That's because I typically would use that problem of the day. And when students would share solutions, it's really like they were guiding the lesson. And I was just kind of a facilitator. For those fluency days, I might still start with a warm up, 
still have a number sense routine, still review the objective, but then my students might have independent or partner work while I'm pulling groups during that time to go over things. Then I would have some early finisher options. And once again, they might complete an exit ticket. That way I can use that to guide my instruction the next day. On an application day, still a warm up still a number sense routine, still reviewing the objective. They might still have partner or small group work, but that's gonna look a little bit different than the fluency day. I'm still pulling groups during that time. And then early finishers, usually I'm grading their application work, so they're not gonna have an exit ticket on that day. And what then, I love, I go was, ahead. I was, what I love about um, how you broke it down for the conceptual fluency and application is that there is the similarities between the warm up, the number sense routine, and the review for the mm-hmm. objective. And I love that because I feel like kids know exactly what to expect when they walk into your classroom, and that cuts down on behaviors like tremendously. Exactly. It's that consistency. Exactly. Bridget, what would you do then for ELA? Yeah. So for ELA, it's kind of similar to math in the sense that when they come in, I give them some something to do for a warm up. And this was for a number of different reasons. One, it's because I need to get myself together. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I'm switching blocks, it was just I need something for my kids to do. Um, so that way I don't have the behavior issues, but then I also can get them thinking and get their brains just ready to go for what we're about to focus on. So they would have a warm up. This would take no more than like three to five minutes. We would have opening circle is what I called it. So it's almost like a morning meeting, but uh, a very reduced morning meeting for each of my blocks. And this is where I would review the objective. Um, We would have book talks during this time. And then I would just kind of talk through any pieces that we needed to focus on for the day while they were working independently. And again, that was something that would last maybe five to eight minutes. I would have my mini lesson, which was 20 minutes. They would have an activity that I tried to keep it from about 15 to 20 minutes of an activity for them to do independently to show that they were able to um, apply the skills and strategies that we taught from that mini lesson. And then, of course, you had things like independent reading, independent writing, um, and then a closing circle at the end, which was like about five minutes or so. So notice how I attached times to each of those specific components. And that's going to be important because when you're looking at that really big structure again, you're going to be kind of adding all those there. Yeah, I was going to say, Bridget already just kind of went into number three, which is fine. And I'm making a face right now to her and like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. <laughs> that just means we planned this out really well because you we knew did. exactly what was coming next before I you even I am having looked. a day, y'all. I am having a day. <laughs> so number three is to then label the components with those estimated times. This is going to give you a clear idea of what you can realistically fit in. Because remember, we said for number two, it was kind of like a brain dump and you wouldn't necessarily be able to get to all of them. So just go through each component and kind of ask yourself, like, how much time would I need to do this? So for me with math, again, like Bridget, that warm up would take maybe three to five minutes. And typically during that time, I may be going around and answering any questions from like their homework or checking through attendance, all of those other kind of tasks. My number sense routine was always capped at no more than five minutes. Reviewing the objective was quick. That was like a 30 second, you know, component. And then connecting their prior knowledge, that's like one to two minutes just to kind of capture their attention. 
The problem of the day is where we would spend a bulk of our time. That was typically like 30 minutes. And again, that was only on those conceptual days. Mm -hmm. And then we would spend another 10 to 15 minutes really sharing out those solutions. And then the exit ticket would typically take no more than about five minutes. So I've already given it to you for ELA, so I'm not going to go back over that. (laughs) But let's go ahead and jump into step four, which is to choose the must-dos. And so when you're looking at the time that you have for each of your different subject areas, you then need to look and determine which of the components need to be added first. These are going to be your non-negotiables, right? You have to have a mini lesson. So, and then you might also want to incorporate every single day an independent practice because that's how you're going to assess the learning that was conducted during that. So already, if I was looking at my ELA time, that's a good 40 minutes out of my block already. So now I have an idea of what do I need to focus on um, during that specific time. Yeah. So for math, my non-negotiables were always the number sense routine because I feel like students, especially as they get up higher in the grade levels, if they do not have number sense routine, it just, or not a number sense routine, but if they don't have a strong number sense, I just feel like everything crumbles. And then the problem of the day was my non-negotiable on those conceptual days. And once again, that's already 35 minutes of my chunk of time. So depending on how much estimated time you have for these non-negotiables, then you can figure out how much time is left. And Bridget, what do they do with that time that's left? So this is the last step for it. You need to fill in your may do's. And this is where you can sprinkle in um, depending on what you have left. So if I know that I only have that hour block and I have 40 minutes, I only have 20 minutes left. So I might have my closing, my opening circle, my closing circle and a warm up, And that's really all I've got left within that block. So sprinkle them in. If you don't get to them, remember, it's not a big deal. You can always scrap it and try to fit it in the next day. Um, so for me, like I mentioned, it's always going to be that warm up, opening circle, closing circle. And if I'm able to incorporate some of those other elements, I will definitely try to incorporate them. Yeah. When I think about my math blocks, that problem of the day sometimes would take longer than I anticipated. Yeah. And we may not have time to share out solutions. Obviously, that's still valuable, but I could maybe push that to be the warm up the next day. Like we could warm up by going over the problem from the previous day. So just having an idea of what components you want to include, knowing how long they're going to take you, which ones you're going to prioritize and make sure you get to no matter what, and then having an idea of some of those components you can kind of sprinkle in and fill in as may do's is going to make your lesson planning so much easier. So to make it even, even easier, we have a few (laughs) (laughs) quick tips. Quick tip number one, try to be as consistent as possible, which really means don't go over your times. If you're saying that you're going to spend no more than five minutes on a number sense routine, you have to hold yourself accountable to that. Set a timer if needed. I always love those big giant timers that will stick on your board like magnetically, or you can even add a timer to your slides. So if you're a Google Slides teacher like I was, I could add a five minute timer onto the number sense routine and you can even use the settings so that the timer, which is like a video file, will start playing automatically when you go to that slide. So it's really holding you accountable. You can't be like, oh, I forgot to click the timer. (laughs) I feel like that would stress me out. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. I know. Bridget, what about tip number two? So tip number two is to take your structure and place it into your lesson plans. So that way you can fill in each item as you plan. So if I know that I'm going to have a warm up, an opening circle, a mini lesson, an independent activity, I'm going to write that into my plans and I'm just going to copy and paste this in for each day. Now I have a very specific structure for for what I need to plan for and fill in so that that entire hour and 10 minutes is completely filled up. I love that. And then finally, tip number three is to pair each component with a material that's going to save you time. So for example, have your students use whiteboards for their warmups or even for their problem of the day. Taking time to get out notebooks from a specific drawer and then you have students who are like, I don't have a notebook. I forgot mine at home. That's wasting time. And I think sometimes teachers feel like it has to be fancier than it really is. You know, they can do their warm up on a whiteboard or even right on their desk. That was always my go to if a student, for whatever reason, their whiteboard had disappeared. I never understood how that happened, but they could write with a whiteboard marker on their desk. So they never had an excuse. Think about how much fun it would be, Michelle, to have like just like a random day where you just did shaving cream on the desk. And yeah. that would be kind of their why. Now, that would be like a super fun, also messy, also time consuming day. But in my back of my head, I'm like, ooh, that would make like for a very random fun day. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you would have to a lot time to clean it up, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have those random days where I would let everyone write on their desk. And that was a super easy way to change it up, make it engaging, make it exciting. But it was no extra work on my part. Exactly. And I think that's the key too, right? It's not extra work on your part. You're not having to go through those notebooks and double check everything and grade things. This is something that you're doing just as a quick assessment. And I think those are some of the most beneficial and authentic forms of assessment that we can take as teachers. Yeah. And I'm sure there's probably at least one person listening right now and they're like, but wait, I need to be able to grade it or I need to be able to check over their work. You don't need to grade everything your kids do. Mm -hmm. And assignments like this, they don't need to be graded. That's why I mentioned having an exit ticket at the end, which I didn't always grade their exit tickets. Those were just a way for me to kind of sort and figure out which students needed support. But with the whiteboards, I always had a clipboard that I was carrying around with me around the classroom. And I would make little notes for each student, whether like they got it, they need more help, whatever, just by looking over their shoulder. I didn't need to collect these or, or have evidence of it. I could just take anecdotal notes as I was walking around the room. Amen, lady. Um, So we hope that this idea of creating a structure for each of your individual blocks is really going to help you just transform your lesson planning at the end of the day. Uh, We would love for you to take some time right now to check out our website and submit your time-sucking hurdle. We want to know what your TSH is. We would also love for you to subscribe to the podcast so that you can get notified the next time we drop our new episode, which is on Thursday mornings. And please make sure to leave us a review over on iTunes, guys. We were looking and we haven't had a review in a while. I really would love for you to go and put a review. I'm sounding so harsh right now. Very motherly. Tough love. love. Leave us a review. (laughs) All right, guys. So until next time. Be timely. Stay organized. And be productive. Bye-bye. See ya.